Welcome to Bible Study Today. This is Len, standing in for Nick, who's not feeling too well today. And we have a panel of four, and today we're commencing a complete different study than what we've been dealing with the last 13 weeks. And I would like the panel members to introduce themselves. I'm Ligia, and I'm very grateful to be here to study God's Word. Hi, it's Brenton. I'm sorry I've been away the last couple of weeks, but we're back again today to study God's Word with you. And our facilitator today is... I'm Helen. It is great to be here, and uh, I know that we're going to have a really, really good study. Okay, well, Helen, in that case, it's over to you. I was just going to say, Len, before I start, would you please open with prayer for us? Okay, and listeners, we invite you to bow your heads in prayer too. Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us your word, that we can understand the lovely God who cares for us so much, that we can understand what's gone on with humanity in the past in order to learn lessons for the present. I just pray today that we as a panel might present the things that you would like to be presented and that will be of benefit to our listeners. We pray that the Holy Spirit might teach us what we need to share and also move the hearts of everyone who's listening today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Len. We're going to start our study on the Gospel according to Ezra and Nehemiah. But what I find extremely interesting that Ezra and Nehemiah are very closely linked together. Yeah. In fact, it starts in, in 2 Chronicles and goes on from there. But it's very interesting when you look at it. The Ezra in the Hebrew Bible, and actually one group, and then the Latin Bible, it particularly calls them Ezra 1 and Ezra 2. So that's how closely that they are linked together. But the book of Ezra tells us the story of proclamations and the return of the exiles to Judah. And it's important to know the history behind the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah because it gives us a, a really a deeper insight into the, their messages that we hear. So I hope you find it interesting. This First of all, I'm going to ask a question. Who was Ezra? In the Bible, we have a description of Ezra, and I would like to read from Ezra chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. And it says, This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Could we have verse 10 as well, would you please? Yes, for Ezra has, had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and the teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. I think that's such an important text. Mm. You know, well, We would have to say that Ezra, who was one of the Israelite captives living in Babylon, did not actually become Babylonianized. Mm. He no. remained true to the word of God as he knew it. A bit like Daniel. Yes, that's right. And, um, Purposed in his heart. And also it appears that he was well regarded by the um, kings of Medo-Persia. 
And so he was a leading figure and a good figure because he actually taught the people the word of God. Now you might think that the Medo-Persians would regard this as a bad thing, but in actual fact, I think some of the Medo-Persian kings were quite enlightened. And I have something I'll share later if, if there's an opportunity to show how enlightened they were. So they appreciated a teacher among the people, a priest who was teaching the law of God because the law of God is only to make society better, not worse. Interestingly, Helen, uh, this took place around about 457 BC, if you want it chronologically, that had already been one, uh, shall we say, uh, pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, back in about 536 by Cyrus. And it's interesting that Ezra and those who chose to go with him, and it's not a large number, which we may get to later, it, it's very interesting that these people had never been brought up in the land of Israel. They would have had to retain their faith and their confidence in the Lord their God in a totally heathen environment, as Len says, maybe somewhat more enlightened than perhaps under Babylon. However, that's debatable because Nebuchadnezzar eventually accepted the true God. But um, travelling from Babylon back to Israel to a city that hadn't been rebuilt, to a temple that was continual disputes going on with. It makes you wonder that when God moves upon people to do something, there's an important principle I think we'll study in, the, in all of these lessons. And the principle is that God moves on people as he sees best. He can use those who serve him and those who don't serve him. But his will will ultimately be, be brought out mm. and his name will ultimately be glorified before the surrounding talking, nations. And we will yeah. talk about that as we yes. go through. Thank yes. you. Ezra was also a descendant of Moses' brother. It was the son of Aaron. Mm. So Aaron was the brother of Moses, who was the first priest in Israel. This yes. is says in uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 5. Ezra done some studies, and uh, also he uh, had acquired lots of wisdom uh, in the writings of magicians, astrologers, and the wise men of Medo-Persia. But he wasn't pleased with that, and um, he longed to be in full harmony with God. It's interesting, though, that the personal preparation is what's needed. Ezra could not teach or instruct others without having had the personal preparation Very himself. Good point, and the yes. method for us today in 2019 is we need a personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Otherwise we cannot instruct or teach or, or um, help others. That's exactly right. We get a little bit of an idea about Ezra from the simple fact that he wrote the book of Ezra. And he was writing about his own experiences, about himself, and about the experiences of the people who had been exiled in Babylon yeah. and the return to, return to Jerusalem. Yes. So he was, I believe, quite an outstanding man. And it's good to have a person like that in the community who of himself knows what he's talking about and who's leading the people into a, uh, a good relationship with God. 
So I think a person like that is very important in any community. Mm. He was a scribe, wasn't he? Helen, it seems as though he was a person also who picked up very quickly what the needs were and then addressed them. He would would have recognised, I'm not talking now about financial needs or physical needs, I'm talking about spiritual needs. He would have picked up very, very quickly that these people needed much instruction. They had been in Babylon the whole of their lives. Now they were relocating to their homeland. Mm-hmm. And he, he recognised that the foundation of their prosperity as individuals and as a nation would depend totally upon them being obedient to the law of God. Our spiritual condition isn't where it should be. We can learn this lesson from Ezra, can't we? Helen, it's at that time, actually, where we need God the most. Oh, absolutely. Um, I can uh, remember a person who I've dealt with now in the last couple of weeks who's struggling with a particular issue and she recognises that she could only overcome this through the Lord but um, God leads us bit by bit he doesn't take everything away straight away anyway there's a comment here that we would like to share with our listeners the efforts of Ezra to revive an interest in the study of the scriptures were given permanency by his painstaking notice this, lifelong work of preserving and multiplying the sacred writings. He gathered all the copies of the law that he could find and had these transcribed and distributed. The pure word, thus multiplied and placed in the hands of many people, gave knowledge that was of inestimable value. Yeah, so he actually, he accepted where he was at. (laughs) He devoted his life to study but he didn't just study, his actions followed what he studied because he went out and shared with others. There's a, a good lesson for us, isn't it? I think there is because mm. if we apply that to modern day thinking, it's very easy to become um, monastic in our attitude. In so far as we study, we know a lot and all the rest of it, but unless what we know we share with others, it, it just becomes head knowledge and it doesn't make any difference to, to your heart. And Jesus never in his life ever uh, had a go at the priests and rulers because they didn't know anything. Mm. What he had a go at them for or what he reproved them for was that their heart had not been changed. They had all the forms. They had all. They could quote whole portions of scripture. And I think what Ezra is trying to do here is say, guys, we need to not only read it, we need to follow it. Absolutely. I've often said, you know, you can have the knowledge in the head, but if it's not in the heart, mm. you're going to miss out on eternity. And it's about 12 inches, I mm. think, from, from your head down to your heart. You don't want to miss out by a foot, do we? Literally. Mm. I think this is a very pertinent issue. I guess some of you listeners have been listening to these programs and enjoying them and realising the truth that is being spoken. When we have knowledge as Brenton very aptly pointed out, we need to use it. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. It's rattling around in a bucket. It doesn't do any good. And when we apply that knowledge and we do something about it, make a commitment to live a life similar to what Ezra did, seeking to know and do the will of God, then something comes out of that knowledge rather than it just sitting there doing nothing. Yes. Is that interesting? You said seeking to know and do, and that was important. Lydia, you wanted to? Well, we noticed here that though Ezra has learned of the ways of the pagans, 
he saw that they were not correct. Thus he sought to know the truth from the source of the truth, which was the word of God and the law of the Lord. But he had to unlearn a great deal of what he learned at the worldly universities, because no doubt much of what they taught was wrong. So after all, how much good were the writings of the magicians and the, the astrologers going to do to him? Oh, okay. I have a question that popped into my head. What is um, the importance of education of the world? Is it important? The worldly wisdom, we can use it just here or not, but the, the heavenly... What's more important? The heavenly wisdom is the most yeah. important. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether we're in a heathen place or, or whatever. You know, the wisdom from God is the most useling. It's interesting that amongst all his studies, not only of the law and of whatever scriptures he was avail were available to him, but Ezra appears to have studied what the magicians and the astrologers of the Persians or the Medo-Persian Empire had and taught. Now, you might ask the question, why study that? What good did that do? And I uh, have an answer for this. It's good to know what the enemy is thinking, if we can put it in these terms, before going to war, what the enemy's plans are. So to, to understand the um, magic arts and what they taught, Ezra could then compare what the Word of God said and what was the common knowledge of the day and could uh, make a balanced judgment of what should be understood by his people. Question popped into my head then, Len, again. We're not advocating that people go into the occult, for example, are we? No. But we really. know it's there and, and it's this awareness that's very important, isn't it? But let's just move on. The best way, Helen, uh, someone once said, and I believe it's correct, the best way to dispel error is to present the truth. Yes. Now, that's um, a good point. what Ezra is doing really is Daniel Mark II. Daniel and his three friends would have been trained in all the astrology and all the wisdom of the Chaldeans. Yes, we know that true. from the book of mm. Daniel. Here we find Ezra, who was highly regarded, as Len said earlier on, by the king and by his contemporaries. Uh, but here's the man who is totally devoted to the Lord his God. God could use Ezra just as much as he used Daniel. Absolutely, and he can, and use, he can you use us and today. He can exactly use Lydia right. and Len and you and I yes. just as much today if we are fully devoted to the Lord our God. Absolutely. Yes, from the study that I've done about Ezra in his own book, I uh, discovered for myself that he was a very curious person. He was very wise, and he wanted to know a lot. And because of that, he searched uh, for the truth he searched from everything so he started from very low and he just climbed the stairs mm -hmm. and that's a good point and, uh, and Len, as Len said before because he searched so, in so many ways he could compare one thing to the other to find out in the end the real truth of God mm -hmm. I'd say he was discerning wasn't he yes, yes. and he saw very these things so. and it just didn't gel yes. with him yeah. can we move on because I, I'd like to bring forward the prophecy 
that um, this book Ezra actually fulfilled. And the reason that I, I'd like to sort of get into this is because it was the prophecies of Scripture that brought me to the light of the Word and brought me closer to God when I realised that only God could have mm. prophesied these things mm. and they came mm. to pass and therefore he is real and his word is very precious so let's start off there is a prophecy in Jeremiah 25 11 and 12 and these are prophecies mm. about the children mm. of Israel yes um, I'm going to read it Helen but I'm mm. also going to start actually a little bit further back at verse 8 therefore thus says the Lord because you have not heard my words behold I will send and take all the families of the north says the Lord and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon my servant and will bring them against this land against its inhabitants and against these nations all around and will utterly destroy them and make them as an astonishment a hissing and a perpetual desolation moreover I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then it will come to pass, when seventy years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquities, says the Lord." and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Now, wow. what's interesting about this is the verses that are read prior to verses 11 and 12 are quoted virtually word for word in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, in regard to the fall of spiritual Babylon. Interesting. There's uh, hmm. some applications from there that we can talk about some other time, yeah. but it's interesting that they're virtually word for word. And in linking into Revelation 2, the one thing that sort of came through to me, even while you were reading it, is that in this world, God may seem to allow evil to go unpunished. Yes. And even as we're getting closer to the end. Mm, good but, point. you know, Revelation is very clear that consequences for wrongdoing are inevitable, aren't they? God will punish evil in the final event. Yes, Len? And in this case... God used um, somebody, we'd have to say, somebody who was uh, pagan, somebody who wasn't amongst his people, to do the punishing. It's interesting that God can use people who don't really know him and have nothing to do with him to carry out his purposes, as is what happened when the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians and in particular Nebuchadnezzar um, but God can use other people yes. to carry out his plans yeah. Len um, we touched on that at the beginning didn't we when we said that God is not actually either hamstrung or his hands are tied that he must work through certain people he can work through whoever's available we're going to see this as we mm. see the prophecies fulfilled yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, that's that's just amazing, the whole prophecy. But let's move on. Jeremiah twenty nine ten to 14 was also prophetic. Len, would you share that one with us, please? I'd be glad to. This is what the Lord says. This is written in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and he's proclaiming what the Lord had said to him. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yes. Then you will call upon me 
and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Beautiful. Now, there are three things that I would really like to comment about Mm -hmm. here. First of all, God promised that if the people were disobedient to him, which they were, they would be disinherited, that Jerusalem would be, and their land would be sacked, and the people would be carried away. But he also promised in the prophecy that after 70 years, they would be brought back to their homeland. That's the first thing. So God's punishment in this case also had uh, a sweetener on the end. It wasn't going to be a permanent punishment. And you notice in, in the verse that that um, Brenton ran out, 70 years was mentioned twice, and you twice. mentioned it again. Yes. 70 years prophecy. Con- continue yeah. then. Yeah. Then from verse 11, the Lord says, I've got plans for you. I know my plans for you. These are my plans to bring you back and return you to a position where you can be my people and serve me and love me and obey me and I'll look after you. Of course, that was conditional. The third thing is in the latter part there where it says, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. There are some religious groups around who believe in the return of the Jews to Israel. And they apply this to our current day. I believe that this may apply in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense, it applied historically, that God indeed did bring the people back, allowed them to come back to their homeland. That's what the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are all about. But I do not believe that God has a plan at the moment after he rejected them as his people to bring the Jews back to Israel, although some people believe that way. Mm. Well, I notice through what you've just read that God's plans may allow for hardship, but his desire is for our good, isn't it? I I sense in all of this, Helen, God's discipline. Yes, but it's loving discipline. But it's love and discipline. It's not retributive discipline. God knows the point of no return for each Mm. one of us, doesn't he? Mm. But until then, he allows the freedom for us to repent and to seek his forgiveness. And and we need to really think about that as the days go on. Now's the time. There's an interesting point here, I, I think, that you've touched on. The way God deals with people, it's just come to my mind that when a child does something wrong, we punish them or we put a penalty on them and we want them to learn from that experience what what god is doing i believe in bringing the exiles back from babylon back to their land again is saying basically i've brought you back i was the one who spoke to the king 
I was the one who spoke to the kings that allowed you to come back to this land. I have plans for you. Len read those plans yes. out. These are the plans I have for you. You have a choice now. Your choice is your father's messed up. They went into captivity. Are you going to make the same mistake yourself yeah. or are you going to choose a different way? Good point. Would you? <clears throat> Daniel also prophesied this, did he not? Yes. Would you share with us that text, please? <clears throat> yes, so uh, in uh, Daniel chapter 9... I read verse 2 in the first year of his reign I Daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years there we go again 70 mm, years there we go again. <laughs> mm. and Daniel was written a long time ago too you know God uses as we said earlier, different people, doesn't he? He yes. used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to bring punishment. Did he not? Yes. Yep. He, yes, he used did. them. And it's it's interesting when we kind of look at it through those 70 years of captivity in Babylon. You know, Isaiah 44, I think it is. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. That I think it's mentioned in there about one of them that would actually be able to. And he was Cyrus. And he, he, he was actually mentioned, what, was it 150 years or something? Yes. Before yes. his birth? Mm. Have you got it there, have you? Yes. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Yes. Now, there is no other person mentioned in the Bible other than Christ. We believe Cyrus to be a type of Christ in some respects. Mm. So this is particularly interesting. He who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. When this prophecy of Isaiah was, as you said, Helen, quoted to Cyrus, it must have just about blown his mind, because he responded positively. Yes. He, he recognised that God had 150 years before actually forecast that this is what would happen. And we don't find any mention of him um, kicking against it or of no. being opposed to it. it. It seems as though he said, wow, if that's what God has called me to do, I'll do. Because later on in the book of Ezra, he says, the Lord God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Yeah. Now, that is not something that um, Nebuchadnezzar did initially. But Cyrus, it appears, when he sent them back, the, um, back he said, look, the Lord God has given me these kingdoms. So God and was in so, control, isn't he? Um, I want you to go back as many of you as desire to go back. Mm. Mm. So, you know, just as God named Cyrus, even before he was born, it, it to me very clearly showed me that God knows what will happen. He is in control. Yes, Lee? This gives me confidence that this mm. book, the Bible, is an authentic yes. and true book. Yes, yes indeed. Because... Here we're looking at almost 150 years beforehand. This king is named by name. He's from a different country, probably a much smaller country at that stage. And uh, his name appears in the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, if we were asked to name who would be the most prominent person in the world, in, say, about 150 years' time, what chance do you think you would have of getting it right? Not too good. Buckley's <laughs> or none? <laughs> Nil or Buckley's. <laughs> well, anyhow, um, this to me gives me confidence that this book, the Bible, is 
really and truly the word of God. It's not made up. Absolutely. In fact, Lynn, share with us the fulfillment of this, the first return from exile in 2 Chronicles 36, 22 to 23, please, if you don't mind. Right. So 2 Chronicles 36, Mm. verses 22 and 23. 23. It says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, which we've just looked at, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. And this is what we often call proclamation number one, Mm -hmm. where Cyrus, recognizing that the Lord was in his life, um, decreed that the temple at at, um, Jerusalem should be rebuilt and the people could go back. And this was the first way. But I want to share something else with you. I was doing some uh, information searching about Cyrus. His um, Persian name was Kuros, or Kurosh, rather. He, apart from God, gave the first document about human rights. And it shows what a a fair-minded and right-minded person he was. I need to read this. This is a a declaration of human rights. I am Cyrus, king of the world. And by the way, this this document is recorded in one of the, um, not scrolls, what do they call those, clay tablets? Mm, Yeah, that's right. uh, Which the original is held in the British Museum. I haven't seen it. I've seen the Rosetta Stone there. Mm. He says, I am Cyrus, king of the world. When I entered Babylon, I did not allow anyone to terrorize the land. I kept in view the needs of people and all its sanctuaries to promote their well-being. I put an end to their misfortune. The great God has delivered all the lands into my hand, the lands that I have made to dwell in a peaceful habitation. When my soldiers in great numbers peacefully entered Babylon, I did not allow anyone to terrorize the people. I kept in view the needs of people and all its sanctuaries to promote their well-being, freed all the slaves. I put an end to their misfortune and slavery. This is referring to the Jews. The great God has delivered all the lands into my hands, the lands that I have made to dwell in their peaceful habitation. What a marvellous document that is. He says, I am guaranteeing the peace and safety of everyone. That is great. I appreciate you sharing that with us, Len. Thank you. Helen, the other Uh, interesting point, in addition to what Len said, is what was the purpose that Cyrus allowed them to go back, the 50,000 or so in the first group? The primary purpose was to rebuild the temple of the Lord. That was the primary reason he allowed them to go back. Now, he had respect 
according to what Len has read, for other people's religions. It seems, though, what's coming through in what Len read is though he recognised that there was an ultimately a God over all of them. And um, that was the God who he was responding positively to by sending these people back. When you read a little bit further in Ezra, you realise the gold and silver vessels that yes. belonged to the temple went back. What's significant about this is that if you go, if you backtrack a few years, in fact, you don't have to backtrack a few years, probably only a couple of years, what Len's read is regarding Cyrus. If you backtrack to Belshazzar, and when Cyrus took over Babylon, as reported, recorded in what Len read, what were they doing with the gold and silver vessels, drinking alcohol out of them? They were having an orgy. They were having an orgy using God's sacred vessels. Here you see the difference between a profligate king who was slain that night, another king who now takes over the kingdom and responds positively to a prophecy made about him 150 years before, um, he has a totally different and more enlightened approach. Mm. And he allows them to take the very vessels that were profaned that night back to yes. Jerusalem. Jerusalem with it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you look yeah. at the history, isn't it? Mm. Just, yes. just having a look again, 2 Chronicles 36, 22 to 23, I found it was interesting because the verse, and also um, there's a, a verse we're going to read in Ezra, a very, very similar very similar. It finishes 2 Chronicles on that verse, and then we'll go into Ezra, and we're going to look at Ezra 1, or 1 to 5, but, you know, I just wanted to make mention that these verses, and the one we're going to read, have a double aspect. They look back to the prophecy of Jeremiah, and they show how that it was accomplished, and they look forward to the history of Ezra, which begins with a repetition of the first two verses. Lydia, would you share with us, please? Yes, as we read in Ezra chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by, Je by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put in writings. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the King of Heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now it to me sounds very interesting that the Lord uh, moved the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia, that he responded to the moving of this spirit of God and uh, impresses the king to make this proclamation of the Jews to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And he was a pagan king, you know, and a pagan king to respond to God's prompting. This is, it's, uh, I can see that the prophecy 
of God comes true. So God used a pagan king to fulfill his prophecy. Yes, absolutely. He stirred up his heart. Yes. I find it fascinating that yeah. here Cyrus acknowledges that God was at work in his life, mm. that God had moved him to carry out this promise that he had made 70 years earlier, well, even before that, that um, after the 70 years of captivity, that the people could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to observe the religious practices that they had at that time. I feel that sometimes the Spirit of God moves on people and they don't recognize yes. that it's God actually moving them to do something. Mm. But here, Cyrus recognized that. Now, I don't know where to take this at the moment, but I've, I think it's probably very important that God had used him in many ways. And I read to you this Declaration of Human Rights before. I reckon that was probably something that God had moved him to declare as well. I believe, I believe so, Lynn, so. absolutely. Mm. I, I think it's interesting. We see here a fulfillment, though, don't we, of God's promise? God promised the restoring of the captives, did he not? He did. And the rebuilding of the temple at the end of 70 years, and that time to favour Zion, that set time, came at last. And I read this statement. I thought it was worth sharing. It said, though God's church be cast down, it is not cast off. Though his people be corrected, they are not abandoned. Though thrown into the furnace, they are not lost there, right. nor, le nor left there any longer than till the dross be separated. Though God contends long, he will not contend always. This was a day of hope for the Jews. You know, three times these people returned from exile to their homeland. And as we mentioned earlier, nearly 50,000 people made the journey. And by the way, the journey was something like 900 miles. Yes, it was a long way. Which is incredible when you think about it. I looked at the map and I thought, wow, driving that far would be enough. But, you know, walking all that way. But well, Helen, the problem was that they couldn't go directly across the desert from Babylon no, to Israel. No. They had to go what's know, known they had as the to Fertile go, Crescent yes. right up the top and then yes. down. It was, I just had my map upside down then. But, you know, it was very interesting. But, but as we've seen, God moved the hearts of the leaders, didn't he? Yes. He gave them a great desire to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And major changes begin inside as God works on our attitudes and our beliefs and our desires. Those interchanges, my friends, lead to faithful actions. Yes. And we need to ask God to give us a desire to follow him more closely. But let's move again. Thank you. And before uh, we do, let's stay on this for a moment. When we have a powerful feeling, um, I would like to say when we are moved by the Spirit of God, what should we do with it? Use it. Obey. We should respond, yes, shouldn't exactly. we? Yes, exactly. Positively. We, um, if, if there's something, for example, you know there is something that you must do, something that's important, something that's right. If you don't do it, then not only have you probably missed an opportunity, but you may have actually sinned. Now, I want to share with you something which, uh, to my regret, happened some years ago. I had a business, and quite often people would come in and just want to talk. Some people I never knew. 
And one day this car pulled up and this man pulled in and he wanted to talk. I'd never seen the guy ever in my life before. And he was basically telling me his, telling me his life story. story. Mm. And he well, had terminal cancer. He only had a few months to live. And I had a strong feeling, I need to pray for this man and pray with him. But I didn't. Mm. And I regret that to this very day, that he may have died a Christless death. Yes. And here I had that opportunity and I missed it. Mm. And I apologise for that, that I did not act on being prompted by the Spirit of God. I dare say, thank you, Lynn, for sharing that. I dare say each one of us have probably got similar stories in our life where we haven't acted. But uh, but I'm very grateful that God gives us a second chance and as we get closer to him, we, we know his promptings and that's when we give our heart to him and say, I want to follow you completely, yes. you know, yes. and, and step yeah. by step. Yeah. Thank you for that, Lynn. Let's move on. Ezra 1, 6 to 8 and verse 11. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, here we go, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put them in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the <laughs> prince of Judah. Going down to verse 11, all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Can you imagine carrying 5,400 articles? Mm -hmm. um, you would have needed some big uh, buggies or some big... Uh, Carts. Yeah. Well, I to carry them. In. I, I did read about <laughs> yeah. all the uh, animals that were taken, yes. and there were a lot, of, the lot of donkeys, a mm. lot of donkeys carrying all this stuff. Doesn't mm. it remind you of when yeah. they came out of Egypt? Yeah. Yes, correct. Yes, it's a parallel. It's, it's very similar, very actually, similar. where the, it says that yeah. back there, Helen, they plundered the Egyptians. Mm. Mm. But mm. here we find uh, Cyrus willingly. Yes. giving them back the the precious sacred articles. Remember, they'd been dedicated under Solomon's mm -hmm. reign. All these sacred articles are now being taken back to God's temple. It's it's You can almost see it's like the sun breaking through. These people would see these things and say, these articles are going with us to Jerusalem. We are going back to build God's temple. Um, God wants to shine his face on us again. I think that's wonderful. And I do too. But um, I'm just thinking about Cyrus. I think he was a very enlightened king. And no doubt it is good to add to your hoard of valuables, right? I believe there are lots of people who intend and are busy adding to their hoard of valuables. A lot of people are grasping for money and they'll do anything to get money. But here, these items which were worth a fortune not just in the value of the metal that there was there but in the artifact part of it that they were beautifully crafted i don't know if you've ever watched the um, antique road show sometimes but people bring these articles beautifully crafted and they're worth a lot of money but cyrus had 
well, we don't read of him having any desire to covet those things for himself. He'd let them go freely. Yes. And I think this is a beautiful thing. I've had a much greater admiration for King Cyrus than I've ever had before in studying this book mm -hmm. this week. Yes. Let's remember, though, yes. the word that God stirred his heart. Exactly. It, it comes from the word. It all er. started with God. Yeah, yes. it comes from the word er, the word stirred, and it means to yes. waken or yes. rouse. Yes, it and does. I believe that mm. that's exactly what what was happening here. Lydia, you were going to share something on that. Yes, when God moves in our lives, we are awakened to His promptings and leading. So such positive motivation comes from an appreciation of God's mighty and gracious acts in history and in our lives. So this appreciation for God empowers us to admire and follow Him and to persevere in our work with Him and in the work that He has given us to do. Our best performance comes from a realization of who God is and what He has done from knowing how he lovingly intervenes in behalf of his people and how he moves them into action. And that really sums it up very well, doesn't it? I've just noticed we've only got about 10 minutes to go and I really would like to touch on the second return from exile of the prophecy fulfilled. So let's have a, a quick look at that. Um, Len, I think you've got something on that one, haven't you? In Ezra 7, 1 to 10 and 8, 1 to 14. We see that King Artaxerxes I allows Ezra to return to Jerusalem. The year is 457 BC and to take with him anyone who would like to return. Not much is known about the relationship between the king and Ezra or whether Ezra worked for the court. Ezra 8 lists the heads of the families of those who returned starting with the priestly returnees, followed by the royal line and ending with the general Jewish population. Twelve families are named specifically, giving the impression that this is a deliberate reminder of the twelve tribes of Israel. The passage lists about 1,500 men, which would approximate 5,000 to 6,000 total counting women and children. This was a much smaller group than the first group that had returned with Zerubbabel yes. and Joshua. Isn't that a great name? Mm. Zerubbabel. Love it. <laughs> Thank you, Len. Thank you. We're going to quickly move on to um, Artaxerxes' degree. It's covered in Ezra 7, 11 to 28, but we're not going to read all that. Time doesn't permit. But, Brendan, would you share with us, please, Ezra 7, 11 to 13? It says, This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra, the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. Mm, not all of them did, did they? Not by a long shot. No, which is interesting. We can because get too comfortable. Because we get the book of Esther, don't we? Yes. And there's a lot of Jews still in uh, the, the empire there. 
Okay. If we went on reading in that um, particular verse that was just read out, we would go on to mention all the gold, the silver and vessels, and we've covered that. But this also resembles Cyrus's first degree, but not as many went home no, at that time. No. And, and again, um, I could ask the question, is the king's concern for the rebuilding of the city and the temple indicate that he had now become a believer in Israel's God? Ezra's God? I think, um, Lydia, you've got a comment on this one. Um, uh, yes, I have. Yeah. So, does the king's concern for the rebuilding of the city and the temple indicate that he had become a believer in Ezra's, go- uh, Ezra's God? Artaxerxes called God the God of Israel, whose dwellings is in Jerusalem. So, the terminology the king uses about the God of Israel implies that he saw the Lord as just another local deity who needed to be a a past by gifts. He didn't want his local God to be angry with him and his sons. Uh, and additional, we should note that 457 BC also is the year of an Egyptian revolt against the Persian government. Thus, it is likely that the amendable actions of the king were designed to gain loyalty from the province of Judah. Unfortunately, Despite the interaction the king had with both Ezra and Nehemiah, it didn't make him a believer in God. At least nothing in the text indicates that he had become one, which it means that the Lord can use even unconverted people to do his will on earth. Very interesting. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you very much. Um, Lynn, because we're running out of time... Um, can you just share with us a bit about considering Ezra's life? Yes, I just want to say this first. We had a decree from Cyrus the Great. We have a decree from Artaxerxes One. Yes. The time difference between those two decrees is quite considerable. It's around about 70 years. So it's quite interesting to follow the history of this, how that Artaxerxes also allowed the Jewish uh, captives to go back. Now, on Ezra, Ezra became a mouthpiece for God, educating those about him in the principles that govern heaven. Well, what are those principles? Principles of love and respect. During the remaining years of his life, whether near the court of the king of Medo-Persia or at Jerusalem, His principal work was that of a teacher. As he communicated to others the truths he learned, his capacity for labour increased. He became a man of piety and zeal. He was the Lord's witness to the world of the power of Bible truth to ennoble the daily life. So Ezra, as far as I'm concerned, is an example of living for you and me. In the work of reform to be carried forward today, there is definitely a need, isn't there, for men and women who, like Ezra and Nehemiah, will not excuse sin. you agree? Yes. Helen, you would have to describe Ezra and Nehemiah, who we'll get to uh, next week. Um, We would have to say that um, Ezra was a reformer. Yes. When we think of reformers, we think of Martin Luther, John Wesley, and all these people. 
These, this guy predates them by 1,500 years or more. And it's funny, he doesn't immediately jump years. into your mind, does That's he? That's right, talk but about he was a reformer. Absolutely. Mm. He didn't shrink from vindicating the honour of God either. And, you know, those upon whom rests the burden of this work will not hold their peace when wrong is done. Neither will they cover evil with a cloak of false charity. They'll remember that God is no respecter of persons and that severity to a few may prove mercy to many. But they will also remember that in the one who rebukes evil, the spirit of Christ should ever be revealed. And I think that's very important. You know, if we look at Ezra's life and what we've done today, we can see that Ezra was prepared, Ezra acted, Ezra gave to others. We all have a choice like the children of Israel. Stay in Babylon or come out of her. Mm. Change isn't change, my friends, until you change. And just in summary, very quickly, lessons from what we've studied today. I just pointed out a few and I jotted down the notes. I just said it was an overview of kings and events, but it showed us that God is in control. And when God calls us to abandon our ways and thoughts to follow God's ways and thoughts, we need to do so. Remember Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way. Sometimes we want to question God, but he is supreme and he knows the end from the beginning. Also, we need to prepare our hearts and walk in obedience to him, as Ezra 7.10 showed us, that Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Also, God calls people, and we need to respond when he calls us. Reform starts with each one of us now, today. And finally, anyone today having a knowledge of the word will have hope. We need to give our heart to God. He is our future and our hope. Our God is the Lord of history. He intervenes in favor of his people to fulfill his promises to bring them home. He will bring us home, my friends. We trust in him. We get to know him. We seek him with all our heart. He took care of the Israelites and he will take care of our needs according to his flawless timing. So I hope you've enjoyed our, our study today. Um, we brought out a few things. There are a lot more we could have brought out. I realise that. But time has certainly gone against us. And so I'm going to ask Brendan, would you close with prayer, please? Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God of history, the God who knows everything. And we thank you that we have learnt again today through the story of Ezra and the return of the exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem that your hand was over not only their journey, but your hand was over stirring up initially Cyrus and later Artaxerxes to allow this to take place. Lord, today in 2019, my prayer is not only for ourselves as a panel, my prayer is for our listeners that God's hand will be revealed in their lives day by day, that they will feel the movings of your spirit and that we will say, here am I, Lord, send me. May we have that experience. May our listeners have that experience today and during the rest of our lives. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.